I'm Danny Stover, and this is Today in TO, a podcast that takes a look at the biggest stories in the city and connects the dots on what's going on. And these dots want fair compensation for their work. Is that too much to ask? On today's episode, you'll learn what it's like being a commercial actor in Toronto these days and why thousands of them have been locked out of working for the past 15 months. Also, how do the writers and actors union strikes happening in the U.S. play into this? Will we feel the effects here? Short answer is yes. Plus, a look back at Toronto's first movie theater, where for only a dime you could watch a series of short moving pictures on something called a vitoscope. Those were the days. <clears throat> Excuse me. All of that coming up on Today in TO. told you about my brief stint as a commercial actor? Oh, well, strap in. Full disclosure, did some voice work for a time. I would argue I'm still doing voice work, Um, but I had an agent and I was part of the union known as ACTRA, which stands for the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television and Radio Artists. Also, my husband is an actor. No big deal. So during the pandemic, when everything moved online, a lot of auditions happened virtually. So these would either be self-tapes or Zoom situations. Now, I'm not much of an actor per se. But at this point in the pandemic, it was all about the bubble couple. Agencies needed couples for commercials to sell their banking apps or paper towel or what have you. And so I had this unique opportunity to audition with my husband for a role. And we nailed it. Didn't book it, but got a call back and was put on hold, which means we were one of the top contenders. And for those hours of work and the hope of booking a national commercial spot, I made $50. And it gave me a taste for what was possible. Look how close we got. Maybe. I'll give this a real go. So we get another audition. Now, for this one, I don't even remember what they were selling, but my husband's instructions were to be the straight guy. Play it cool, play it collected. My instructions were to shove a bunch of grapes in my mouth and sing a Lady Gaga song. My husband's notes? Yes, great, more of that. Mine? Um, yeah, can we try that again and see if you could fit more grapes in there? Why don't you try singing more? Try to really get the words out. It was in that moment I died a little inside, and as I shoved the 12th grape into my gob, I kind of gave up on the idea that I'd ever be in a commercial. By the way, this whole ordeal took hours. We had to use our own equipment, buy our own expensive grapes, And I absolutely did not book it. And my story is just one story. And luckily, being on camera was never something that I really aspired to or was good at, apparently. But for thousands of commercial actors across Canada, and especially here in Toronto, it's been a real struggle. Not just throughout the pandemic, but also for the past 15 months. As the ICA, the Institute of Canadian Agencies, and ACTRA, the union representing Canadian actors, have been at a standstill when it comes to the National Commercial Agreement, a contract, basically. And both sides have lots to say about the other when it comes to this letter of continuance, which outlines terms and conditions for actors, secures higher rates, retirement contributions, and benefit plans. 
because these are gig workers at the end of the day. So on the actress side, they're saying, what gives? Why won't you sign this agreement? It's the same as it ever was. And on the ICA side, they're like, well, you need to modernize. And part of this is lowering the barrier to access the union, which I do think is a good idea, in theory. But then, according to ACTRA, the ICA came to the table proposing reduced wages to the tune of like 60%, eliminating benefits and retirement plans. The ICA says they never got that far because ACTRA refused an amendment to the agreement. It's giving stalemate. And it's giving me a headache. And even though both parties are back at the table this week with a mediator, which is hopeful, the reality is that there are thousands of people being impacted by this. One of them is Jameson Kramer, a Toronto actor who's had roles in shows like Murdoch Mysteries, The Umbrella Academy, Ginny and Georgia. Oh, and he also played a financial advisor in a Questrade ad. But as he points out, this speaks to a much bigger issue. It's not supporting the culture at all because there's this whole sort of version where people don't care about commercial actors, right? And, you know, maybe that's true, but I think people do care about workers. And one of the things with the cultural aspect of Canada is is actors specifically need commercials to supplement the income to do all of the other stuff. Uh you know, like theater or, or even Canadian film and television. Um, the goals of actors in this, in this province and frankly, in this country aren't to be the next, you know, Gary from, from, for Canadian tire. The end game is, is we want to be, we want to have a character. We want to have a role. We're actors. That's the whole point of this. But, you know, it, there's this progression of, of how it works. You get in, you get your set, you, you get your experience on set. You move forward and there's a progression to your career. And when the bottom part of that whole process is like taken out from underneath you, it makes everything else crumble on top of it. So again, with the pandemic, already people are financial hardship. Now with 15 months, 15 months of a lockout of no commercials, basically no commercials. There's like a tiny amount of commercials because there's some agencies that are still technically on board the NCA and we love them for it. But essentially that means like so many people have had to move out of the city. They've lost their houses, you know, and when people move out of this city, that means the theater scene here also kind of starts to disintegrate. Like every, it has this cumulative effect. And that's the that's the part, the cultural part. So when people are like, you know, uh, commercials, you know, I skip for, you know, who cares? Well, everyone should care, you know, not to mention the fact that these companies are all making billions and billions of dollars. Literally so many of them have had profits over the even over the pandemic. Like they're all they're making money hand over fist. You'll hear the quotes like we've offered them a two percent increase every year, which, of course, is like. Four and a half percent under the inflation rate, you know, and by the way, it came with a cut of all of our back end residuals of like anywhere from 69 to 89 percent. So it's like, oh, thank you. Like, no. The unions protect the workers like they would in any industry. And come on, you wouldn't let a multi-million or billion dollar company use your face to sell French fries, for example, if they paid you for a day's work and then used your likeness for 10 years. And if you're saying something like, yeah, well, that's for one day's work and you signed a contract, you knew what you were getting into. Well, it's a lifetime of work, mostly unpaid. And even when you do get a few coins in exchange for your services, 
it's really not a lot of money at the end of the day. Here's David Gale, president of Actra Toronto. We understand that the performers have to pay, be paid as well on an ongoing basis because that, that's the value. And that's that's what we own. We get paid very little in this, in this world. And an average performer here in Canada uh, working in the in the arts there can and in, in our industry can make six grand a year working in film and television. Six grand. That, that's not very much money. Paloma Nunez is a Toronto actor and mom. You've maybe seen her in shows like The Handmaid's Tale, Schitt's Creek, and Run the Burbs, among others. She was in the new Peter Pan and Wendy film. And one thing in addition to the extra work that was required of actors when everything moved online, like I mentioned, was also a lack of, hmm, I want to say consideration? There are no boundaries. There are no boundaries. It doesn't matter if it's Saturday or Sunday, they can ask you, can you do a retake? Like I've done retakes or callbacks um, on on a weekend, again, with your kids where you are trying to have some downtime where you're not just asking them to be in a room quiet <laughs> while you're doing it. But uh-oh, it's Sunday and we still have to do that. A hundred percent. And some of it is a lot of work. So it's not just the actual filming of the piece. Some of it is learning all of the lines in commercial cases they really want like kind of a complex, can you eat a real sandwich? Can you make a sandwich? Can you make a sandwich in a beautiful kitchen with natural light and have your fridge behind you? Like they're, they're, it's almost as though they're imagining the commercial and then you at home need to, to set that up. And before it used to be like, we understand you're coming into a studio, someone else is filming it. And there's only this gray backdrop. But at home, they feel like they're just imagining these palaces that we live in. And and I just want to remind everyone, we live in Toronto where the cost of living is astronomical and we don't all have islands and skylights to film these elaborate commercial requests. So at this point, you might be asking yourself, low pay and no boundaries, why would anyone ever want to do commercials? Commercials specifically were made it so that an artist could make a living doing their craft. So I can go shoot a commercial for one or two days. Oh, if it's two days, that's glorious. And then I can go back to working on my independent film script or making something for myself, writing, working, taking acting classes. It made it fiscally possible for actors to live when they're, because the the jobs are few and far between often. And now when they've cut, taken away a, a massive part, I think there was something that said about $40 million in commercial work has been taken away from union actors. By doing that, they've just taken away a lot of actors' livelihood. And now we're solely relying on film and television. And that's not always, like I said, we don't get those major, major roles all the time. We're coming in as a guest star, one day player, maybe you get two or three days there's there's no way to kind of make ends meet otherwise. And now I've known a few actors who were very successful, who are like verified on Instagram, who've had to quit their their acting work right now to go and take on a full-time job to pay off their debts, to just make ends meet for a little while and live in some financial stability because they do not have commercials as a means anymore. It's just devastating though. It's so hard to think that so many people won't be able to be able to do this. They won't be able to bring their stories and their voices to art, to Canada because of this lockout. Canada is such a diverse country. There's so many diverse stories that are so 
interesting and need to be told and can connect so many people. And these people may not get to share that because they can't make a living in the meantime. And then they decide, you know what? Financial stability is more important. And I understand that. It is so expensive to live in this city. It's almost, it it feels almost like a mission impossible to be able to live as an actor here. So if this is something that you care about, that you want to help with, I, or rather Jameson, will leave you with two actionable items. Let's call them self-tapes. Due on Monday. There is a uh, letter writing campaign right now to the provincial government to advocate for Bill 90, which is basically an act to amend the Labor Relations Act. uh, And that concerns uh, replacement workers. So it wouldn't just help us in this situation, the actors, but basically anyone in labor, in the labor force, construction, classroom, like all labor workers. Um, And there's an easy way to kind of join that campaign and... Uh, there's a website, which is uh, www.rcaporganized.com, and that letter writing campaign is right smack there. So it's nice and easy. Click on it, you know, type your name in, boom, 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 letter goes off. So that's a big one, uh, and that's one of the current things that uh, a few of us uh, are, are trying to push forward. There is an Instagram account called Locked Out Actors, and that's like a place where A lot of actors have gone and shared their experiences and stories. Like if you want to hear and read how it's affecting people, go there and you'll see like the the strife and the pain and and the difficulty that's been going on with with every actor. I mean, it's an anonymous account, but uh, you will see the direct impact of what people have been feeling and going through. And it's, it's actually a pretty important read and it does sort of shed light on what's been going on. Coming up, what is going on with the actors and writers union strikes in the U S and how could that impact Toronto? That's next. In the U.S., the Actors Union, SAG-AFTRA, which represents 160,000 TV and movie actors, voted to strike. They joined the Writers Guild of America, who have already been on the picket lines for more than 70 days. And one of the main sticking points is streaming royalties. Streamers have made things more complicated, and they're not legally mandated to share any of their numbers. And so just to give you an idea, someone I know wrote on a popular TV show for a season and appeared as an actor in a couple of episodes. That show went to Netflix. And I think it's safe to say the show on that platform did really well, probably got millions of views. And this person got a check from Netflix for $2. So to help further explain the stakes and touch on why this is so contentious, here's entertainment lawyer Jonathan Handel. It's so contentious because it's a a turning point in technology. It's a turning point in sustainability and affordability of jobs. And so it's seen as very existential by the unions at the same time that the uh, uh, and and, and we should point out, you know, the the stars that you that you know and love are on strike also, but they are not the ones that this is about. They have their own agents who negotiate individual deals far above the union terms. The union terms are primarily of benefit to working class and middle class actors, people who might make 30, 50, 70,000, you know, 80,000, a couple hundred thousand even, you know, which is 
uh, healthier income. But a lot of people who struggle to make a living in high-class cities like Los Angeles and New York, the issues are, uh, there are five of them, but uh, I'll hit them briefly for you. First of all, basic wage increases, uh, keeping up with inflation is an issue for the actors. The studios have not offered uh, anything that uh, comports with the, the last two or three years of inflation we've been having. Secondly, residuals, which are royalties paid when shows are rerun or stay on a streaming platform. Um, the residuals for streaming uh, don't incorporate any sort of success metric. What that means is that a successful show like Wednesday pays the same residual as a flop like, call it Tuesday. Uh, there is no difference, and the actors are not comfortable with that. Uh, nor are the writers. Um, second, thirdly, um, AI. Uh, both groups do not want to find themselves displaced by AI. And this is a concern for crew as well, who have already started to talk about this in the context of the run-up to the expiration of their contract next year, the contract for the IATSE or IATSE, which is a union that operates in Canada and the U.S., uh, incidentally. Uh, fourthly, for the actors, pension and health, their benefit plans, the certain mechanisms involved in the funding have not been updated in 43 years since the last actor strike, 1980. The last dual strike was indeed 1960. That is uh, something where the parties are far apart in terms of what the increases should be. And uh, finally, auditions. Uh, auditions, you, you know, used to go to a casting director's office. There'd be 20 to 30 people you'd be competing against. You'd go in and you'd, you'd, you'd do your scene. Now people are expected to tape their own auditions using their cell phones at home and submit the tape. And that creates, a, uh, first of all, a lot more people sending in audition tapes. And secondly, a lot of pressure to get it right, to edit and re-edit and do the scene again and hire someone to help you. And suddenly you're paying money to compete for a job that you're even less likely to get than you were in the past. And they want guardrails around that. So that's what's on the table. And it's a lot. And remember, these are working class people fighting a multi-billion dollar system that exploits its workers. The work that is created by these working class people are shows and movies that are enjoyed by all of us all of the time. Not only that, 87% of SAG-AFTRA union members do not make enough to qualify for health insurance. You know how much they have to bring in a year to get health insurance? $26,000 annually. Netflix's stock recently hit a 52-week high, meaning that the streaming platform made institutional investors more than $106 billion this year. So essentially, and this is all according to TV writer Nick Jack Pappas, every dollar that these media companies don't give to a writer or actor, they hand to millionaires and billionaires. Here's Actra National President Eleanor Noble with how this will affect productions here in Canada. In Canada, Canadian film and television production will not be affected at this time. Studio production that's come up from the U.S., our understanding is that those that are currently in production are going to complete production, and after that, they're not allowed to take on any new contracts. That will eventually affect uh, production right across the country, not Canadian production, but anything that was American involved. Depending on how long these strikes last, it could impact future projects. U.S. productions get huge tax breaks from filming up here, and it's a growing industry that stimulates local economies. Also, star-studded events like Fan Expo and TIFF may be affected by the strikes as well, but that remains to be seen. Ugh. And I remember when you could see a moving picture in downtown Toronto for one shiny dime. 
Well, I don't actually personally remember, but you get what I mean. And with more on Toronto's first ever movie theater, here is producer Glenn Bergonier. Can you imagine seeing a movie for only a dime? Because I honestly couldn't. And at one point, that was a reality in this city. Toronto, as you likely know, is no stranger to the film industry. Whether it's actually something being filmed here, something pretending that it's another city being filmed here, producing movies, or simply being home to many who enjoy a night out at the theater. It also might surprise you to know that the very first movie theater in Toronto opened in the 1890s. For some extra history points here, it was officially opened in 1896, only a year after Thomas Edison, yes, THE Thomas Edison, invented and introduced the Vitascope. The first ever site was actually known as Robertson's Musee, located in the southeast corner of Young and Adelaide, which opened its doors in 1890 proper. Before the switch to becoming an actual theater, it was more of something that you would find at a carnival instead of in the downtown core. It housed what is known as a curio shop, which catered to magicians, acrobats and musicians, and the works. The second floor of the building also had a wax museum, and the roof literally housed live animals in cages. Then, in 1896, the theater purchased one of Edison's Vitascopes, and from that day forward forever changed how Toronto defines entertainment. The first moving picture was shown on August 31st in 1896, and instead of being one long film, was actually a series of films that lasted no longer than about a minute. Some were even as simple as just seeing a man gallop past the screen or a car drive by. It only cost 10 cents to get into Robert's Musee, and it quickly became known, colloquially at least, as the Dime Museum. The moving pictures were an instant hit with audiences and critics alike, with even one such newspaper known as Toronto World reporting that, quote, the machine projects apparently living figures and scenes on a canvas screen. It baffles analysis and delights immense audiences. Three years later, in 1899, it kind of changed hands a few times and became known as Shea's Theatre, until the building sadly burnt down in a fire and was relocated to Bay Street just north of Queen. After about another year or so, the first permanent space for moving pictures was erected at 183 Young Street and was aptly named the Theatorium, which boasted 150 seats, a major development for the Toronto entertainment scene. After staying at the location for a while, the Theatorium was simply renamed Red Mill in 1911 and currently is the exact location of the Elgin and Winter Garden Theatre Centre. And so, 127 years later, movie theatres can be commonly found all over the greater Toronto area, and the Toronto entertainment industry, let alone scene, has expanded to make this city one of the epicenters of the entire film and television industry, not only in Canada, but right across the continent. So always remember, whenever you're paying however much we have to pay for tickets nowadays, there was a point in history, 10 cents could have got you in. That kind of reminds me of the time when, as a kid, I thought you could break open the television and pull out mini people. I was watching Roseanne at the time, which means I was too old to be thinking that's how TV worked. Anyway, 
This podcast is brought to you by 640 Toronto and features audio from shows across the Chorus Entertainment Network. My name's Danny Stover. Today in TO is produced by me, Glenn Bergonier, and David Spargala. Amanda Capito, Jason Chapman, and Chris Dunner are advisors to the show. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode, so you know the drill. Drop a link to this podcast in all of your group chats. And join me again next week on Hump Day. Till then, love you, bye. Bye.